Hey, George. How you doing? Hey, Todd. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, we got a we got a good one. I mean, real good one today. Um, and sure I can do. I can totally relate to this one. Um, uh, we have uh, Richard Louis uh, of MSNBC, uh, veteran news anchor. Um, he has a new book out called. Uh, tell me what the name of that book is, George. Enough, enough about enough about me. Enough the, about me. The unexpected power of selflessness right the unexpected power and it, it, i'm excited because you know i, I went through um caring for my mom as a, i was yes, her main caregiver i was her support yes, you are and i went into it negatively you know i went into it with more of a negative uh yep. attitude because a lot of my upbringing you know um uh, yep you know my mom was uh grew up you know she she, she borderline personality disorder right, right. so growing yep. up with that in your house it was difficult, and uh, I only had the good side of her personality. You did, and you so saw the fun. Happy. You know, I got it all. <laughs> I had fun. With I, her. I got it all, but you know, it, it was it was tough. But um, and then when it was all put on me, I'm like, why? Yep, is it me? Because you know, my brothers were across country; they weren't, you know, different cities. So it's all on me. But I fell into the role, you know, uh, and it became more of a a thing of uh, forgiveness for me. Um, I learned a lot during it. It was tough in the beginning, but by the end, I'd you know forgiven, you know, because once you know my mom's story, yep, it's it you understand my mom, you know, it, yep. it was a tough upbringing. Yep. But uh, yeah, we got a we got a great show today. Go ahead and tell everybody who you have. Yes. So we are very pleased, very honored, and very grateful that on the day of his book launch, yes. Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness, we have American journalist from MSNBC, NBC, news anchor, and a little bit of CNN, over 30 years of experience in, uh, in the, uh, the news world. Also into technology, business. Um, really, we're gonna. Oh, we're gonna talk some about his oh. educational backgrounds. Amazing. Oh yeah, in before going to University of Michigan, Cookie College. That's right. Yeah, Cookie College. Yeah. We're gonna get um, into that. We have that. a lot to talk about, but <laughs> yeah. we are um, very honored to have Richard Louis um, and on the day of his book launch. Book launch. So, yeah. so. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Hey, George, Todd. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, it's our pleasure. Um, I think we should, let's just get right into it. I mean, you've been on a whirlwind tour. You're spending some time with us, which is great. Um, just for inspiration behind the book, just to give our listeners a little bit of background. Yeah, at start, I, I was listening to what you and Todd were talking about, you know, some things in the life get dropped into your lap, if you will. Yes. And I think that's a lot of things, right? And, um, yeah. My dad at our annual Louis Christmas dinner, where we have like ninety to one hundred Louis running around, and you need a, <laughs> you need like a, an atlas to figure out where's everything in the in the room, and not only the dishes but also your your new cousins or second cousins. My dad forgot his siblings' name, and they grew up poor. You know the story. You heard the story before. Yeah, grew up poor. Your best friends are your siblings, and my dad had uh, twelve siblings. Wow, and they they had the one fish, lots of rice soup, a lot of gravy story, right? Um, and once he forgot one of his siblings' names, we knew that was the beginning of something, right? Because they don't do that. You gotta you gotta pull it out of their yep. their, their 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 hands to forget their sure. siblings' yeah. names. Yeah. He got diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's, and then I uh, made the decision. It took a long, took a while, which we can talk about to make that decision, but to work 
less on TV as as a news anchor, mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> I joke because it's like, hello, boss, uh, I would like less time on TV. Um, yeah. <laughs> wait, you're a TV person, right? Yeah. Uh, are you really a TV person? <laughs> but it was it was a much different conversation because she actually, when I asked her about what we might be able to do, she said, you know, I'm actually a long distance caregiver mm-hmm. too, and I'm caring for my mother, who I we don't always see eye to eye, but here I am in New York and she's in Florida. Right. And I'm, I'm the person. So that's how it started. That's sort of like that beginning of the journey was the inkling about what, what it meant to give of yourself to somebody else to that degree. So Richard, let's, let's, let's get right into, let's talk about what, what a family caregiver is. I understand what it is. I went through it, but go ahead and explain it to the audience and let them understand, uh, you know, the true definition of it. You know, it's your story, Todd, Mm. uh, of family caregiving is going to be different than mine and others. Sure. But at at the end of the day, it's all the same in that we are untrained, we're unpaid, and we are full-time. We got this new full-time plus a lot of overtime job. And the fact that there's 53 million of us right now (sighs) going through it, we're not talking about the veterans. Like, you're you're a veteran now. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm currently going through it, but 53 million right now, family caregivers. And as we go about this to take care of a family member, it can mean all sorts of different things. Uh, The disability varies from family to family. uh, And therefore, the caregiving that we're required to, to do or that we want to do is various. For my father, it was dementia and Alzheimer's. So for him, it was a lot of repetitive repetitive actions that he would do over time, yep. 20 showers a day, you know, uh, wanting to open up a can of beans with a knife mm. 20 yeah. times a day, you know, those are trying to get out of the house uh, and you have to be there. And so for the primary caregiver, like my mom, who was there 24 hours a day, and I would only go like three, three days every week and I'd stay overnight and I'd, and I'd try to give my mom relief. But for her, Ooh, that is, I can't, I don't even, I can't describe it. No, you can't. No. You, and you went, you, you, I listened to you, uh, you had a really great TED talk on caregiving oh, and I, heard and that I love too, yeah. the, yeah, living an honorable life. Mm-hmm. And you know, your mother was a school teacher and now she had to transition from school teacher to another career, an unpaid career, um, of caregiver. And I think you, yeah. uh, you know, this blew yep. me away. It's, it's, it's. I think the calculation at the time was four hundred and seventy billion dollars in unpaid yeah. wages really? because yes. because of all the work that 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 um, the fifty three million do. You know, and George, that was when the number was like forty five or forty eight million. Wow, family caregivers. We're up to fifty three right now. So if we add twenty percent to that four hundred and seventy billion yep. dollars yep. Yeah. annually. I mean, we don't need to be math geniuses. This is a lot of money. Oh yeah. That and and but it's not about the money. It's more about hey, this group needs help. Yeah. They need help. Yeah. And different states are doing different things and um we'll see what happens, but yes, that we really need to take care of our caregivers because our caregivers are doing great work. 
great work. Amazing work. Definitely. You know, they're the, they're unsung heroes. And uh, Richard, I was looking through the book and uh, I noticed it, it, um, there's a section about unmitigated selflessness and there's a questionnaire inside the book on, you know, yep. figure out how selfless you are. Um, Love it. Training your selfless muscles. That was something I had to learn with my mother because, like I said, I went into it very negatively. Um, did you go into it selfless or, or are you learning as you're going? Oh, boy, am I learning as I'm going. Mm. Um, still learning it today because, um, you know, the siblings, you know, we're not eye to eye on stuff now. Like it's sort of like up. Mm. And, uh, did Todd, do you have siblings you're going back? I got, yeah, I got two older this? brothers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I got two older brothers and a younger sister. And, you know, love them all but we have different approaches on life and so that has been difficult for us i think uh to a great degree and we're thinking about you know how do we get help to get through it Mm -hmm. and and so that's 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 one of the things that are certainly learn as you go but try your darndest yeah you try your darndest that's for sure it's not easy yeah Mm -hmm. um so a couple questions around what we're currently in but before i get there um, one thing you mentioned in the book, what explained it to our listeners, the selfish pandemic. I love this piece. Yeah. You know, the, first of all, yeah. Cause the book, I mean, it's a little heady, you know, a little yeah. like what, what writing a book about, Hey, good to meet you, George Todd. I, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm writing a book on selflessness. Oh, really? Okay. You're going to world peace is the next, is that the follow on book? Um, <laughs> but the, the idea was sort of, what is the problem as a journalist, which is the way I approach the book, um, yep. I've reported on a lot of mass killings um, and I've spent hours upon hours just with rolling coverage and trying to determine why the killer did it or yep. how many people died or what are, what are the wounds. Um, Newtown was a... Mm. Newtown, Connecticut, where yep. we had elementary school students killed. I was on air for two or three hours and I had word in my ear that um, there could, at the moment we didn't know right. whether there were any children killed. And then we, I got 10 minutes before I got off air, they said, Richard, we, we were getting reports. We cannot report it as of yet. This angers me. And, yeah. um, and I've done it time after time after time over the last five years. We now have Colorado this week, mm-hmm. Atlanta last week, and we're not even talking about all of them. And these people that are taking other people's lives to me are the epitome of selfishness. And I've had, yep. we don't, I'm very careful about showing their picture. I'm very careful about saying their name. I am not going to give them that. Nope. Because if that's what they want, they don't deserve it because they have taken other people's lives. And so the selfish pandemic is a reflection of that. It's a reflection of the racial pandemic that we experienced. It was, it's a result of the viral pandemic where people were selfish and not caring about the health of others. When, yeah. you know, like my mom, who's in her 80s, and if you were not to wear a mask around her, gosh, I don't know. I mean, you yeah. may have nothing to lose, but my mom's like right. 80-something. She, she doesn't have a lot of reserves. Yeah. So that's the selfish pandemic. We, we're using violence and hate as, is cheap right now, and it it's, shouldn't be. Uh, I was going to quote you on that. I When I read that, yeah. It, it, it's true. It is. It's, it, it's true. And it, it, um, I have to tell you, reading it, yes, it makes me, you don't make me angry. Reading it <laughs> made me angry, but angry in the right, I, hopefully the right ways. Because another thing you touched on in there was the, um, 
was this meism, which Todd knows is a is a big. I mean, you want to get me going? No, I know. George will go off yeah. all day. Yeah, you want to hear and about meism and, and making it more about weism. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that that was yeah. a, that was one of that, that was a great chapter in the book for me to read, especially how you you know you did it. You know, you realized it in yourself because I had the same different moments in our lives. But I know for you, it was around religion at the time, right? And you were going to be spreading the good word. And then it's like, wait, wait a minute. What am I doing? Am I doing this really for the people? or Am I doing this for me? And there were there was a time for me in college where that happened to me, too. It's like, wait, am I really not around religion, but around other things? And it's like, wait, who am I really doing this for? So I think that's that's a great thing. I'd love to just talk a little bit about, too, because I think people need to hear this. Yeah, I mean, the, the meism era. um <laughs> Since I grew up in the 80s, uh, personally, yeah, I thought I was going to be the world's youngest apostle. That's what I thought. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, here I yeah. am, 12, 13 years old. Yeah, here we go, Richard. You're going to do <laughs> yeah. it. And uh, I realized that um, it, I couldn't do it. First of all, it was horrible. And number two, I wasn't sure about the people that I thought were in the community. Uh, in the end, you know, fast forward to today, I realized I was just my sort of one or zero approach to, the, to humans. Yep. And I quickly learned that my dad was super imperfect, a person I respected and I loved dearly. And as I saw his imperfection being given to me openly, Mm. that helped me understand the one zero ain't the thing. And the meism part and weism, meism era, you know, the eighties, which started out quite well, we had a lot of wealth, um, but then we also had the I'm okay, you're okay period, which means you there's nothing basically if you were to be critical of it to say that everything's great. <laughs> everything's just a okay. For those listening, I'm doing the okay sign with my hand. And that is exactly, you know, oh Richard, that's a beautiful circle you drew. That's actually a square. But that's okay. Uh, you're yeah. okay. Yeah. And so the, <laughs> the the that I think potentially reinforced that it is only about what I my view is and my view is okay. And then began the the big materialism boom of the 1980s. And then we just perfected tools to satisfy our specific individual desires and points of view. Mm -hmm. Social media is great, but like anything used in its extreme is is not so good. Yeah. And uh, I am not wholly against it, nor am I wholly for it. I am definitely aware that it is, was created to manifest what is an American right, which is that you have the right to be on TV or being seen. <laughs> and, and I laugh about it because what am I doing? Yeah, right? Right, here yeah. I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> what are you doing, Richard? Yeah. So what am I doing? Exactly. Growing up, did you face a lot of, uh, you know, any racial violence growing up? Any, a lot of bullying? Um, yeah. It, was it? Yes. it I mean, was that as a kid or as even now as an adult? Yes and yes. Oh, okay. um, now, I've not been, I mean, as a kid, I was uh, sort of the kid that was bullied in the schoolyard. I was a small Asian kid mm-hmm. and uh, that happened. And I asked my dad, you know, you know, I'm getting beaten up. And so what can we do? And he sat down on my bed uh, before I went to sleep. He says, well, Richard, um, you can either defend yourself or you can fight. And I said, I said, okay, well, I don't know, fight. And then the next, you know, a couple of days later, I was like, I want to fight. What are we going to do? And he said, well, uh, there's actually a um, 
Shaolin Temple Kung Fu monk that just uh, we met through the church, and I think he'd be a great person for you to learn from. And I'm like, great dad. I am being bullied as a little Asian kid, being called a Kung Fu kid, and you want to reinforce my skills in that very art. You know, <laughs> you can't help but laugh at my dad. Like he, he was he was great. But I did take the the lessons, by the way. Of course. By the way, it, it improved the problem. Oh but I've no. Experienced that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have. Uh, you know, look, the, the dynamic and, you know, I don't want to be this is the uh, poor Richard story here today. But, yes, it, it, no, it, no. it has been consistent to the experience of growing up uh, Asian in America. And especially if you're Asian male, the the media stereotypes, the cultural stereotypes, everything that comes out, not necessarily beneficial. Um, but, yes, I have experienced those throughout my time. And and of note, I just want people to know if they don't already that Richard, um, you were the first Asian man to anchor a daily national cable program, news program. Yeah, yeah news and, program. And, um, and that tells you something. If that's right, yeah. that tells you something, right? That's that's um, it does. Because let's say we're off by a factor of a hundred percent. That's two. That's right. <laughs> right? If we're off by 100%, that's two. Yeah. All right. Let's be off by 500%. That's five. Um, but I don't think we're off by to those greatest degrees. That gives you an opportunity. It's an indicator, is it not, of a supply and a yep. demand problem. And um, so my goal is to be part of helping the supply and potentially the demand side. Potentially. That's mm -hmm. above my pay grade, though, right now. But certainly on the supply side, to, to be alongside, uh, be a friend of others that might be considered, might consider being a, uh, a journalist and happen to be Asian American male. Absolutely. And uh, what, what a fantastic mentor uh, to, ha to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so as we're talking on about. Tuesdays. <laughs> so <Yeah>. as, we're, <laughs> as, we're, as we're talking about dream jobs. Um, you address walking away from a dream job and how that can be your life stream. Yeah. And I didn't know it at the time, yep. uh, but I was talking with my boss where I did that. And I, I walked into her office and I was like, you know, I'm, it's time to go yeah. uh, potentially. And instead she said, no, how do, how do I keep you? Right. As I was saying earlier. And um, as I was writing in her, in her copy of the book, cause uh, I really do think she, and I said, I've never written a note to my boss by hand ever in the 11 years I've worked with her. Right. Emails, blah, 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 blah. It was weird. It was like, okay, pen works. Hit the button on top, click, put that little pointy thing onto the paper and move it and write your name and her name. And I, 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 as I was writing, I was saying, thank you. And then the words that came out next are things I've never thought of before. Thank you for... And this is, a, I know, a bit much, but it was the truth. Thank you for uh, changing my life. Because if she didn't say yes, I would have not continued to be able to work mm -hmm. and care give and still have a voice in media to do this book. Like, you know, I don't think you would have signed me if you were my agents if I wasn't currently keeping my current job. I'm, sure. I, I get that. And, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to be responsible with it. But I had to thank her for that. I had to thank her for that, and I just finished a movie on student caregiving um, last year, which is going to be aired uh, nationally in May. Good to know. That also, I'm like, thank you, Yvette. I mean, you really just blew open the doors for me, and I had no idea. Like, 
we, we started a conversation say that we had no idea it just lands on your lap well and it also speaks to the fact that she must love you as a you know to work with you that that must make you feel good you know ah she doesn't like me no oh, come on <laughs> come on richard no, she does I, todd she was yeah she was very kind yeah You're absolutely right she was really really kind so selfless I'm, that right selfless, selfless. um I, I i'm still stuck on the 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 monk training the shaolin monk training you with kung fu <laughs> i, I, I want to go back there like, because <laughs> the only reason i want to go back is because you said it made it worse right it made it worse yeah, yeah. would and being bullied was that did it with your schooling did it hurt your schooling were you a bad student because of it you know um i was a bad student uh, any way you slice it oh um i was uh and that might have been contributive um but that was like elementary school i think because after i started doing the the kung fu moves at the time thank you bruce lee because he kind of was like that icon yeah oh that that guy's a little Bruce Lee. Got to stay away from him because you know I break out a couple moves, Todd. And yeah. come on, yeah, twelve year old to twelve year old. Yeah, everybody's like, whoa. You, you ain't, yeah, no, yeah, you ain't gonna right because yeah. you don't know what you don't know at that point. Yeah, I was right. waiting my yeah. hands around, uh, but it worked. It definitely worked. Um, it did. Awesome. Um, so now I will take us back a little bit. So Where are we going for, back? We're going forward more to work because, you know, it's weird because I, I understand why Todd asked his questions, but I'm also so inspired. Just no, by I'm trying to get the, to Cookie College. Thing. I know. We'll yeah. get oh, there. I, I want to get to Cookie College. Co- okay, no, no. Right. George has he wants to be more of an adult right now. But <laughs> when we get I want to get back to we are um, absolutely going to go to yeah. Cookie College. If and, we don't do the, Cookie College, I'm going to be very upset. We're going to do that. And the one point five cars you sold when you were a car. Oh, my gosh. One point five. Richard. Oh, my gosh. We will get we'll get there in a minute, but but still no. I I loved reading the book, and I just you know you, you talk about in there too about how to be more selfless in your storytelling, and you had some mentors at NBC, and I know that was probably one of your. I know you were at CNN, but NBC. I don't know if that was the dream job, but hey, it was a great job. You 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 were doing some work with NBC. You you had the anchorship on MSNBC. That's where I discovered you, um, and and would and listen in on weekends. So. Um, with with your mentors at NBC, you also mentioned about you know you know real people who who epitomize selflessness and really inspired you as well. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about that. Then I promise we can get to Cookie College. <laughs> yeah, also real people. Yes. Yeah, I mean Chapter Three behind the camera is yeah. about real people that stand up and do like as much as I, you know. I was talking about the selfish pandemic, right? And mm-hmm. um, but I that's one. It tends to be one person in most of the cases that I've been telling these stories where they're just the epitome of selfishness, but you will find five or 10 or 20 or 30 people around that situation that stand up and wow you. Mm-hmm. Um, I write about Tiffany Parada in mm-hmm. El Paso who there's a, there was a man in a car and a Honda Accord with a rifle and um, a handgun and some other stuff in his car and he was driving down the interstate and shooting at people driving down the street and shooting at people shot at tiffany parada's 25 or 20 year old suburban her husband was driving kids in the back and they don't know what's happening they get away after uh, he drives by but then they they look at each other and they decide we got to warn the other people of el paso so they turn the suburban around they floor it 
And good thing for a good old 454, because that V8 got him past that Accord. The guy shot at them again. They duck. Nobody's hurt yet. They keep on going, roll down their windows, full speed on the freeway saying, get out, get off the freeway. There's a car behind us. He's shooting at people. Yep. And I'm like, Tiffany, they must have thought you were crazy. She said, yeah, they did. But we still did it. Yep. And this is the part that really gets me. And I, I said, well, who do you have in the car with you? And I have my four children in the back seat. Yeah. And how old are they? And, you know, two and four and seven. And she asked, can you give me their names, please? And there's two is, you know, John and four is, you know, Jane and eight is. And then she stops and she realizes what was there. Like everything was in that car. Yeah. But they still ran towards the gunfire, the fire. Yeah. And it is people like that every single time, you know, all these other people that decide that I got to talk about, right? And I spend like hours saying, and then this person, and we know the name, their height is this way. And, you know, they, they went to this place, they work at that place. And if you're that person, you're like, oh, see, look at me. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm famous. The famous people are people like Tiffany. Yep. And I spent, when I was on air with her, I talked to her for a long time and I talked about what she did and I talked about her family and I felt that emotion that she had when she stopped for the moment to realize that she was selfless in an instant like her husband because they had everything in that car in that suburban, but they still did it. But it still worried her at that moment that those are the people in that I talk about in the in the book that are truly, you know, what we want to be. And that's that's the awakening, I think, that needs to happen, which is why, you know, when I was reading through the book, I, I think what it really hit me, what really hit me is like, this is what we should be talking about more because there's so many people that are still either dwelling on things in the past or they're just thinking about their future. Like, what what school are my kids going to go to or what's my next job or how am I going to afford this? What am I going to and, – and sometimes just being in the moment is really that that awakening. And, and this book really spoke to me about that. It's like – you know, Tiffany being in that moment, just doing something that was selfless, but but she wasn't thinking about the future. What if, what if she just was in the moment? This is what's happening. This is what I'm going to do to try to help other people. And then we'll we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with yeah. the fear and the scare and everything after. You know what it was? And, you know, I talk about in the book. I yeah. believe it's because there's something that was she had the muscle tone, first of all, she and her husband, yeah. something in their lives. Yeah. I don't know what it is because I didn't go that far. Like what what gives you this ability to make a decision like that? Is it being stupid? No, yeah. it's being strong. It's having the, the muscles to jump when you need to jump. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know what the experience is, but that's the that's what the book is trying to say. Yeah. By doing this, the bite-sized things, the everyday things, and there's lots of things and we talk about in the book how you can do it. Yep. Once that when day, these big thing things happen, you got the muscles to jump. Yep. I think it starts with that what what one try doing something one thing a day and then you kind of build on top of that. We make a conscious decision about every 15 minutes. Yep. Um when we can remember, how can I make that decision with a selfless notion? Let's say it's a, a, a I'm going to get a coffee. 
Hey, Todd, you want a coffee over there? What do you want? No? Okay. <laughs> Can I get you a tea? <laughs> How about a soda pop? Yeah. Uh, All right, great. A, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Hot cocoa. I'll go with <laughs> yeah. a cocoa. A hot cocoa. Oh, hot cocoa. Yeah. Okay. Don't forget <laughs> the whipped cream. Don't forget and the, it's those, it's the whipped those cream. Little things. Then there's there's we we describe other steps up from that, but yeah. that's where it starts, right? Because then it's part of your your thinking. Absolutely. Even even just making the one call, you know, when you have the extra time, you you, you make that deliberate call to somebody maybe that you haven't talked to in a while or that you just you know yes, and, and you make that one call, and you know I've been having those moments, especially over this pandemic, where you know. You know what? I haven't talked to my best friend Kaidi in a while. I'm going to give her a call. Like, and it, you just give her a call, and if they're not there, it's okay. You leave a message, and right? Then, and you, you leave know. a message. And I just, just recently, like three days ago, happened yeah. to me. I, I haven't performed since November. Yep. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not going to remember my set. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. It's mm-hmm. been so long. But then out of the blue, somebody in the comedy industry who I yep. look up to and admire sent me a text. And told me, you know, just basically said, mm. "Go out and kill it. You're gonna, you're gonna do a great." And, and I didn't. Yeah. This was unprovoked. Yeah, of came out of nowhere. I did this show Saturday yeah. at a country club. It was, I mean, it was really. It felt so good to get. And I didn't forget my set. I added new stuff because it just gave me person. that confidence. You know, yeah. it was very, very helpful. So it was good to have. So, um, yeah, there, there's actually we cite one of the studies there, Todd, yeah. where. You know, when, when we show up for somebody, um, I'm having a uh, my sets at six o'clock. You know, about yeah. about they may have heard your friend probably heard about it. Yeah, and did. showing up versus not showing up um, increases the because we we go we in the book we talk a lot about chemicals and dopamine yeah. and you know oxytocin and stuff like that. Um, that's a bump of twenty percent right there. Your friend, yeah. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it felt like it was more. I mean, it was, it just, you know, yeah. it really, uh, it, it, it boosted me. It felt good. Not that, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm confident in what I do, but the, to have that come out of the blue, unprovoked, it just felt, it yeah. felt awesome. Yeah. So I'll give you my number later. Just pass it on to him and I'm on on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, he, he can just and he'll he'll send you just, yeah. yeah boom yeah we will definitely the greatest do it. Step. yeah we'll do it Stuart <laughs> Smalley you're good enough you're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you, Richard. So, yeah, I, I own a, mo- a mansion and a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, current status how how is your father doing? Yeah, how is your father doing? And then talk a little bit about you've been you know being separated during this pandemic. We've all been separated from family and, and parents, and th- this to me is just an, an added challenge because you know you've been traveling back and forth for seven years now, caring for him. And helping your family. Yeah. So we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, George, uh, he gained a pound. He did. So so he's a fatso now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Big guy. 139. Wow. Used to be used to be six feet. Uh, I think he might be like five, five ten, five eleven now. Okay. But he's doing good. Thanks. Yeah. He he, he he's he's been in the hospital, I can't tell you how many times, because what happens with with Alzheimer's, you forget how to eat and swallow. Yep. So he'll he'll become dehydrated very quickly. He'll uh, take food into his lungs and that causes pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's had his bouts, but yeah. uh, from what I've seen last, because I haven't been able to see him physically, like because he likes to be touched. He likes hand-holding. He yeah. likes when we put our hands on his head, and that's when he just beams um, and tracks you and says, oh, hello, what's mm-hmm. up, Richard? Uh, well, he doesn't say that. His eyes say that. Sure. But 
we haven't been able to do that. And, you know, I, I've taken some pictures of me standing outside the window many times. And um, I'm just glad that he's done well during this time because, gosh, if, yeah, I should, you know, if it turned turned the other way and I wasn't able to see him. That oh, God. But, you know, I've had I've a great there. seven years, six years, I got to tell you. So I, it's it's at the same time. Yeah. Richard, speak a little on your father's uh, his career, what he did. I, I I find it kind of interesting. Yeah, social worker. Yeah, for one, but yep. yeah. social worker, youth pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think he was even a um, a mailman for a minute, uh, <laughs> but he evidently had very tasty legs. Nice. Um, so he stopped doing that because those dogs were, were after him <laughs> like nobody else. But. <laughs> I tell you, it it uh, he tried it all. I felt badly for my father because he didn't pick the most stress less. Jo- I mean, youth pastor was probably the joy of his uh, different careers. But then you know, doing uh, being a mailman for a minute, and then after that, uh, social work. Those are not easy jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of stress related to it, and um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he did do those because they're very instructive to me that you still do what you, you love to do, uh, even if you're living through food stamps. Yeah. What, what was the point that you guys, you realized there was something uh, Alzheimer's wise? Like I know what it was with my mother. What was it with you that that you picked up on? Was it you that picked up on it or was it other family members? It was it was at that Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, relatives. Remember relatives, with the... Yeah. Uh, Hey, your your father's forgetting the um, the names of the siblings here. So, what are we going to do? And that's when the we took the. He was like, I don't know if I want to take the test. And then he took the test. And then after that, I'm glad he was this way because Todd, it was really helpful when we mm-hmm. would be out. He if he forgot something, he'd say, Oh, I'm sorry, I have Alzheimer's. Who has Alzheimer's? Who says, I'm sorry, I forgot, I have Alzheimer's. Um, I wouldn't remember that. I just would think, but he would always remember that. And that was his sort of sense of, I think, vulnerability and understanding of himself. That was, uh, that was very helpful. I think for all of us kids to see that, which is sometimes tough. It is. It's not easy to watch, you know? Um, I found and George and your parents, George's dad, what he's 92 now, but still sharp. Your mom's 80. 83 83 so yeah. you know now i've been very lucky that's for sure yeah you have been but you know you're you're getting to that point where you you may be well you are you're pretty much their caregiver even I though do. they can get yeah, around da- dad's not driving anymore no well, that's done well, he, well well he still tries to during the day but pretty much you know it's pretty yeah. bad yeah yeah I nearly hit a tree you know in why the they're doing so well <laughs> pardon richard sorry so you know why they did so well because they went to cookie college <laughs> cookie college Hey, here we no, go. Because you know it's that other advertisement that we keep on watching, right? So I thought I'd I'd mix the two together. I no, I love it. Smart, great. It was a great yeah. segue. I love it. Yeah, go ahead, Todd. No, let's, let's get off. into it. Like yeah. I, I look. I know he had a tough time in high school. Didn't go yeah. right to college. Went to Cookie College. Tell the people what Cookie College is, and it's <laughs> it was one of my favorite places. <laughs> That's why I want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I. I almost flunked twice. I got kicked out of one high school, um, almost didn't graduate. But my mom, who's a school teacher, as I was mentioning, went down and talked to the principal. And the principal was, um, well, I'm going to help you, Rose. We're, we're both teachers. 
and I'll see what I can do for Richard. Um, and so he finds me in the hallway and he says, you know, your mom came in today. And I was like, she what? Yeah, she came in today, Richard. And um, oh boy, because she didn't tell me. She came with your not. dad and she sat across from my dad and me from on the other side of the desk and she was crying. And that was my uh oh when I heard that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, OK, I'm shaping up because I'm a senior at that point. This is the last chance for Richard to graduate from high school. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And he says, Richard, okay, if you're going to do it, that's all I'm asking now. Are you committed? Because I'm committed to your mom. I said, okay, yes, principal, I am committed. Comes back a week later and says, Richard, it's mathematically impossible for you to graduate. (laughs) Even if you take summer school after, you stay over, it's impossible. Yeah. But I committed to your mom. So I have the ability as the principal of this high school to to sign a special dispensation to allow you to graduate short of the 200 units you need, even after you take summer school after you walk. Will you do it? If you do it, I'll sign it. And he signs it. And I never went, after I graduated, I did not want to go to college for reasons you can probably imagine. So I worked at Mrs. Fields Cookies. And man, did I love cookies. That was something, I mean, I had like six every day. I love it. And he had to go to a college to learn the recipe. Yes, he actually. And then, so he I, was like, he was a perfect at it. He was like, a, the, he, he, go ahead, you tell. I'm not going to tell your story. I want to hear more of it. No, no, please do. I was, I was gonna, <laughs> I, the reason why I was laughing and looking down is because I, I'm bringing back the images. They had something called Cookie College in Utah. And we all sat around the table, and it was called Cookie College. And we all wore red and hats, and we learned about management. And I really, I mean, Cookie College was my first college. You're absolutely right, Todd. I, I never know. thought of that, but it really was my first college. And, and it then, taught you about management. It taught him about management. And no, yeah. Listen, a bit, Richard, a big part of the show is how we, we focus on the storytelling and also about how, you know, you don't need a linear path. To be successful, right, and that's and why I, I wanted to brought up and, right, and and you've proven that. So you had you had Cookie College, and then I remember reading about you know how you sold used cars, and you did one and a half cars <laughs> in two years, and I guess half is because they give you half a sale for good behavior for for time served. That a boy, but one car George. in two years. <laughs> He's bringing he's bringing all the gems up here. Yeah, all this the is, gems. This is this is great for people to hear. <laughs> they want to learn about you. People want to people yeah. want to learn, and it's important to realize it's like, oh, I just didn't end up with this anchor job, and you know, writing books and being a you know, being right. an author, yeah. being a being famous, you know, being going around the world globally, and 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 being the ultimate volunteer, which I find very inspirational. Me too. Um, it's it's. You know, it's it, it takes work to get there. Yeah. And whether that's through yeah. school, cookie college, or selling one car in two years, like I, I don't take it lightly. I just think people need to hear it and be like, Yeah, you can do all this stuff and you can fail miserably and you still find your place in the world. And that's something I think I know you've done. And I love talking it. about my shiny turds. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> love that. Uh, like but I love that turd. story, George, because there's an element in there, which I know you know about it, but I want to, yep. the other element or layer to it is, yes, I was sold cars when I finally went back to community college. So after Cookie College and I worked for Mrs. Fields, I said, okay, I can't do this forever. So I went to City College of San Francisco, go Rams. And at the time, I was selling cars because I love cars. You know, grow up in California, love cars. 
And uh, over the period of time, which was f like two years or, or something like that, felt like 10. But I sold a total of 1.5 cars. I was only working part-time, all right? Only part-time. <laughs> okay, part-time for um, two years. Yep. Yeah, George, get off his case. <laughs> I, I, evidently, I was selling like one part of a car at a time, like <laughs> here's a tire. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's the cigarette lighter. Yeah. Uh, here's the seat. Uh, because the, rate, the way you get half a car is if you enter, so you come in the door. So, George, you come in. And I said, good to see you. Which kind of car do you want? Can I show you the car? Okay, you, you leave saying, I'm going to think about it. Then you come yeah. back. And because my name was logged in, if you buy it, I get half of a sale. So that's how I got the 1.5. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I wasn't so successful at that. And you're right. I definitely zigged and zagged and yep. probably zigged when everybody else zagged. Yep. And, and, here, and here you are now. Um, one other thing I wanted to get into, and that is your op-ed. And that's, you mentioned yeah, it earlier, yeah. hate is cheap. Mm -hmm. And I read your op-ed and there are a couple of, um, I, I think it's very pertinent now with, uh, especially with the, the violence against Asians yes. and, and it's important to stand up and be anti, you know, anti-Asian violence. A um, couple things that, that struck me there were, number one, um, the stress of prejudice was gone after people of different backgrounds met after three times. I think I got that right. My memory's yes, gone. Yes, that's right. Good. And then I loved how you said, don't buy stand. You have to upstand. That's right. And I think upstanding is something that we have to learn how to do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, that's, it's one of the most I've failed, as I describe in the book, yep. you know, many times in upstanding. And I say, oh, you know, I talk about this topic. Uh, it's it about uh, violence against women. And I talk about it a lot. And I'm against it, as we all are. Mm -hmm. Um and there I was standing beside somebody who was on the phone behind me in the gas station saying, and I could hear him, oh, you know, uh, bad day. I'm sorry, buddy. You know, I, oh, I know it's a bad day. Just go home and kick her around, slap her around. You'll feel better. Yeah, just give it to her. And I didn't say anything. That stands out in my brain because I thought, oh, you know, what I'll do is I'll volunteer more. I'll speak out more. I'll do more speeches. And I, 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 I. I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with that as well, but our hearts and our brains want to do something at that moment. And um, then I reached out to look at what else I could have done. And then I learned about the five D's um, and look it up, just Google it. It's yep. different ways of upstanding when you see somebody else facing um, either violence or hate. Um, and it's not always just, coming straight at them. There's a lot of like distracting or documenting. Those are some of the two of the D's yep. for instance, or direct, which is another one of the D's. But yeah, in, in the op-ed that I wrote about what's happening with um, Asian American Pacific Islander yep. hate incidents, this is really a painful time for 22 million Americans yep. that everyone's feeling. And it is... I don't want to say it's exactly like, but I will say there's tinge, there's there's parts of it that bring us back to World War II, yep. where you think I'm American, this is a great country, I'm second or third, I'm either first or sixth generation, doesn't matter to me either way. I'm glad to be here. Right. But it's that moment that I think, especially for us Asian American Pacific Islander journalists, 
that, you know, when it comes to the story, we report, we're going to be straight on. We're going to give you the details and the facts. If you ask me, Richard, what do you think about it as a reporter? Mm -hmm. That's when you're going to see a little, another gear turn on. Okay. And it's all of a sudden, I've, everything just is on my shoulders of trying to tell the story of an ignored history of two centuries. And that sounds like a lot just by me saying it, but we all feel it just because of the repetitive, it's okay to attack Asian American Pacific Islanders. It's okay to make them make fun of them. It's okay to joke about them. It's okay to treat them less than equal. It's okay to not um, support them. They don't need it. All of those things are wrong. All of those things about the model minority and yeah, there yeah. are a lot of folks in the Asian American community that may go, but not a lot, a lot. I'm talking about the majority of Asian American Pacific Islanders are like me. Right. With food stamps, with going to community college. 50% of us yep. go to community college. We're everyday folks. Yet you got a you have this upper group that does does well. Yes, but the majority are not that. Yet on the flip side, it's the reason why it's insulting the community is like, okay, so their model, which then pits them against other. Well, so if there's a model minority, does that mean that there is a mm. unmodel minority? Yep. Is that way, right? So there's this one's yep. good. That means that there's no, is there a bad one. Right. Right. That they're not perfect. They don't, they're, they're not productive. All right. But let's just say there is, there's this model thing, but you have to add on the word myth because if you're this model thing, wouldn't you think you'd get all the things you, you want and be given all the rights and privileges? And I just finished saying, no, you're not. Still, the over-sexualized idea of what a, an Asian-American woman might be yep. and the emasculated Asian-American male might be. And those are so silly. Those are from like 1940s and 50s. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious, being in the news industry... Do you find, and, and again, this is just from me being a newsie and, and watching, um, not all the, not all the news stations, obviously, yeah, but not most, all, yeah. <laughs> not all. Um, however, um, when, when things like this happen, so right now we, we've got, uh, you know, we've got this violence against the Asian community or, um, you know, the police matters right. that, that surfaced last year. Well, they've always been around, but it, they, they hit a, a, they did, they came to a head last year with the, the police and the um, the black community. I also think that, you know, to your point earlier, it's like, you know, there's all this history, but a way to kind of help with that is to consistently have people from the Asian American community on television, the African American community and so on and so forth, instead of all of a sudden, you know, I, I won't mention names because I, I respect them all and I don't think they're doing anything wrong, but they'll have no. like last night I was watching a certain station and they had this panel on. Now, some of the people I've, I haven't seen in a long time, but they were like all from the, the Asian community. It's like, okay, well, why can't we? Yes, it's important now, but think, mm -hmm. let, let's think about post. Like how do we yeah. how do we keep this going post or or when you have your your all African American or you know or, or or black panels it's like how do we keep this going after this happens right. because we know things like this are going to happen again or you know and and just keep that diversity going and I feel like there's still some work to do there and I'm just curious on your your opinion there 
Yeah, it's a good point. I think what we have to do is develop, uh, sorry to go back to this again, we have to develop a muscle set that says uh, we want everybody to be included when we can and to have the ability to bring them into the conversation appropriately. Uh, So there's two sides of the coin of as we look at the violence against the Asian American Pacific Islander community, If you have a panel, since you're bringing up a panel idea is, do you want them all to be Asian? Right. Do you? Um, Or do you really want them to be an intersectional representation of Mm -hmm. who might help the problem? Right. And it's a lot lot like with unauthorized immigration. You know, when I would do segments on immigration, mm-hmm. uh, the the word immigration almost is, at least the stereotype is, is immigration equals Latino. That's almost like, yeah, but it ain't, you know, it's immigration equals Latino equals Asian equals Irish mm-hmm. equals many countries from the continent of Africa. And so I would do panels and I would make sure to represent those those voices. And so it, it is by simply seeing the power of a visual in that environment is strong. Mm-hmm. And when you see the power of when we're talking about specific racial strife and issues or discrimination or prejudice, mm-hmm. you know, I, I go back to when I first volunteered to be a campaign manager by the way, I uh, got the candidate to lose his his uh, run. I'm go. that good. Yep, <laughs> shiny turd. Uh, and so there I was, and we would get together, and we would have on the table the city college. This is a college board election. We'd have Asian American, African American, Latino American, LGBTQ, white. We all sat on this table as campaign managers mm-hmm. and we would say, okay, who do we hold up to push up to the board of supervisors, the city council. Mm-hmm. And together this group would then support and they do it every year. And I think that sort of approach is certainly a significant al- alternative. The key is to develop voices in the community and uh, George, what you what you bring up is now that you have the voices, why don't you use them more, right? right. And and the glass half full comment about that is we actually have more supply than ever, and we have the supply of Asian American Pacific Islander faces yeah. that can talk about not just Asian issues, yeah, you know, that can talk about politics, can exactly. talk about justice, yeah. can talk about economics, can talk about the talk about war and yeah. conflict. And we don't need to be okay. Uh, so in Family Guy, Trisha Takanaka, who would <laughs> yep. would get up there, and there she was, you know. And he he was tr- just trying to characterize the way it is, right? And when you saw yes. Trisha Takanaka get up there, and you go, "Oh yeah, you're right. That is true. That is where they are put. That is yeah. the what they are." And so there's a super bunch of layers in there. I know that. And I'm sorry to keep on talking and talking and talking. No, no, no. It's I agree with for. you. And there's a lot of opportunity. No, and, and thanks for going down that road with me. I wanted to get into your op-ed and, and get into that topic, and I really appreciate it. Um, if I can ask also, so enough about me. What was 
the most difficult or were there a couple of things that were difficult about about writing it because it is it is very well done there are a lot of mm-hmm. positive messages in there and, and poems and yes yeah. and and i think through yeah. that people can really you know i think people can develop a clearer picture of their sure place yeah. in the world which is what i loved about the book yeah. because they just think it's like because it, i feel i found my place in the world and yet now i'm like hey here's no, a few things have i, I really can try. Find, yeah so was there anything like really difficult about writing it i mean Besides, obviously, you're writing, you know, about personal experience, your family, and what your your father's going through. It was um, the hundred pounds of sand in the ten pound sack problem. Yeah. Um, like if you looked at our whiteboard, which was a huge Google Doc, like that was eleven by seventeen and had four pages. It was just, you know, I just kept on, oh, I want to put that in there. And there's mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. Get Put in the put in the plunger and, and bring in the, the Western oil and throw in the coffee cup and the <laughs> microphone. And yeah, don't forget the don't forget the camera, too. But yeah, it was just I was throwing everything in there. Yeah. And at a certain point, we had to say, OK, we got to lock and then move. Um, and then the writing that. That was not that was not the most difficult, but it took a lot of time. Just like at at this very seat, I sat here just mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. pulling stuff, putting it in the, in the into the typewriter all time at different times. If it weren't for the team, see that that I think what is different for the for this book is that it, it was the team. I had like eight or nine other consultants yeah. that I brought in to help me with it. Oh, that's great. Did you really use a typewriter? Oh, no, I got this keypad, but I okay. made, right. made it look so like I that. I thought right? you were yeah. hitting the barrel back and ding. All right. Yeah. Although around. I do enjoy, um, I do of, enjoy it. Yeah, a lot of people do. Typewriters. Yeah. yeah. So looking at care, caregiving, male, care, male caregivers in particular, um, what do you think we need for the future? What, what's the, what, you know, for caregiving of the future? What is, what is that? What's the ideal? What does it look like? I mean, I, I have definite images in my head of what I think it could be and not should be because I don't want to be that prescriptive. But, yeah. But I have ideas of what it, it could be. And I'd love to, you know, you living it. Um, male caregiving or caregiving in general? Caregiving in general, but we can touch on the male yeah. piece too because I think that's important as well. I'd like to get that message out there to people. The perception is that if you just like when I was talking about immigration equals Latino, like caregiving equals female. Right. And ARP and its studies show that four in 10 caregivers are male. Yep. Like Todd. Yep. Uh, like you, George, right now. Yep. Um, when it comes to those with disability, me right now, too, and my, my two brothers. Uh, so we've got to change that dynamic because it it's, shouldn't fit into any structure. I mean, but it does kind of connote that. Um, I don't know the answer to caregiving other than yeah. then they need more support. And I don't know like what policy, I mean, Congress has been moving forward with a couple of pieces of legislation that yep. have been um, a head nod for caregivers in, in the military community and outside the military community. Yep. It's been in there. Which is great. Yep. So, yep. Some, some states have as well. Um, that have made made a move. So I, I don't know the answer to that other than your local service providers, thank them, yep. appreciate them. Yep. Because when 
when it does get tough, they're the, going to be the ones who help you. Yep. They helped me. They helped my family. Absolutely. I'm sure they helped Todd's too. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the nurses, uh, the social ca- workers. Hospice care. They're, they're amazing people. You know, just they're, they're angels, I swear. And, and you know, Richard, you brought up the Congress. I and when, I, when I think about that, you know, the ideal in my head is that caregiving just in general, you know, there's 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 healthcare, but just caregiving is part of should be part of an infrastructure bill. It really should be mm-hmm. because we have an aged community here, and yes, we have younger people coming, in, but we we are coming up on and uh, you know I'm sorry I don't have the data in front of me, but you know we, we have an aged community here, and it should be a caregiving the funding the you know t- to me you want you want to spark job growth. What you know, first of all, it gets people to to awaken within themselves, yeah, and you know just just create careers in it, create careers in it. And it should be part of an infrastructure bill because we, you know, the, the answer to me, like the, the, you know, if you have to do it fine, but the thought of anybody, you know, anybody in my family going to a nursing home, unless God forbid it got to that point, why would we have to do that? Mm -hmm. Like let them stay in their home and bring, you know, either you learn to do it and have the ability to do it through some type of, of, you know, government program, or you have people that are, have careers in it, storied careers, professionals. They love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you find people that love to help people that much, that's just yes. something special. It is special. And I think there's ways, you know, that's the other thing I loved about the book. It's like, there's w- this is how you bring it out. You're reading these sure. stories and the poems and asking the questions and, you know, taking tasks and doing, th- you know, something nice each day for, you know, or, or, or just reaching out to people. It's like. That's special. And to me, that's part of a a bigger infrastructure bill. I I think the idea of a big idea is um, we're ready for it. Yeah. We're ready for uh, something like that Um, because I think there's a lot of uh, we can't keep on living this way sort of feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Something big is out there. I, I don't know what, but it could be that. It could be. But we know because we we can see it in we can see it everywhere, at yeah. least as reporters. I am looking in a, as I'm talking to my fellow reporters, as I've lived through you know telling stories across the country. That that's the sense. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a part of me, and this is the idealist to me. But there's a part of me that just feels the more that this can happen and starts happening, this will help erode these horrible silos that we still have in this country around race, religion. And even I, I got to say, even and, and mu- just money because it's gotten worse. And if you have other people, worse. and if you have mm-hmm. other people helping people, just like Richard, you talk about it. You know, the, the just yep. when when other people start helping people, and after three three different moments of of FaceTime, the stress of that prejudice washes off, and we can ero- we can erode some of those mm-hmm. barriers. Yeah. So it's 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 a big Stanford thing. study. You got it. Yeah, yep. Stanford study. Yep. Yep. What Stanford, where you went, we didn't even touch on this guy's education. The, we the did too. Education. We yeah, sure we did. did a yeah, yeah, that's true. Cookie college. Cookie college. That's all that meant. Uh-huh. You know, I was talking to Richard before we got on air. He called because he wasn't sure if he missed the caller, but um, he, he confided in me that his next book is going to be Cookie Recipes. That's what he's going to say. Right, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Semi sweet chocolate only. And that's right. And that is exactly. A, and that is a perfect segue to, to my final question. And Richard, as, as much as you can or want to share with us, I know you're just getting to know us, but I, you know, I know you're going to be busy with, with this book for the next month, at least, if not longer. And, uh, What's next? What's next for you? I mean, obviously, you're still going to be yeah. taking care of your father and, and the family, but what's next for you? Anything that you care to share or let us in on? 
or come back and tell us again <laughs> please yeah i'd love to um what's next is well the the movie that i was telling you about that oh, i directed right. yeah. uh, which was a four-year uh journey on student caregivers and the reason why i did that was you know here we had this these 11 through 26 year olds that are living super selfless lives but they wouldn't be sitting here talking about it like the way we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. They would just go home and take care of their grandfather or their, their father. And that's coming out. It's going to be in theaters. The DVD is going to be out in Walmart and other places. This is going to be uh, in May. And uh, it will also be on a major streamer, as I was oh, mentioning, and, and, and as well um, on a major cable company, oh. uh, if you might guess where that might be. Yep. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have, an, <laughs> we'll have a, an official announcement coming soon, but it'll be in May during Military Caregivers Is Month. the title confidential or is it? Oh, it's out there right now. Skyblossom.com. Skyblossom.com. And uh, it is actually showing in a theater right now in Southern California and um, you it's it's the only place at the moment but if you go to skyblossom.com you can see you can see the, the link there yeah. and yep. see why put, it's important to, to hold up these these uh, student caregivers we will we will absolutely talk about that on our socials as, as we talk about this show all week and uh, we will we will post that link. Yeah, uh, to be definitely. sure, but yeah. that sounds great. Awesome. And then uh, another book in your future, do you think? For sure, um, for sure. I don't know for sure, but I <laughs> I am noodling one right now. You are fantastic. So am yes. I. Um, well, I love noodle. <laughs> well, I'll I, be your ghostwriter. Oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> Richard. Honestly, uh, we we can't thank you enough. I mean, it's the day yeah. of your book launch. Um, you're here with us. We know you have a busy schedule. We probably took up more of your time than you expected, but this has just been um, this has been wonderful. No, has, and yeah. Uh, this, yeah, this is definitely a highlight for us. And we really, really, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, George and Todd, I am. Very grateful for spending this amount of time on um, a very little book that's that's uh, a little crazy. So I thank you for understanding the crazy and, no, and it's gonna, supporting it. This, yeah. now, Richard, this is is going to have a big impact. And when the time is right, we'll reach out or you reach out. We'd love to have you back on because I think there's a lot of other topics we could go deeper on oh, and, we, so and we can revisit a lot. Um, we didn't even we didn't even get too deep into the book and that's what's going to be great when people uh, people buy it and read it yeah so uh everybody we done yep i appreciate that thank you we've been talking to richard louis his book is enough about me the unexpected power of selflessness yeah fantastic book and i like i said i could totally relate to it because of you know having to care for my mom and i wish it was around yep when i was doing it five years ago but I learned a lot during that, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that was echoed in what I read. So um, it's a fantastic book. People, go out and get that book. Take a look. Yep. Because we're all going to, if you're not there yet, you're going to be there at some point. You will be there. You know, and it comes fast, and it's out of the blue. And what, what again, if, in reading the book, it's not even about getting there. It's about what you can do now. Because when you get, it's like, why, why just wait till you get there to do these things? You can do right. those things now mm-hmm. and live a much richer, deeper and quite honestly, just a more fulfilling life. You yeah, just the, you just feel better. You know, you only do. only by helping others do you truly help yourself. And I know that's been said, but it is so so true. And pick up the phone and call somebody. Make their day. That's right. Yeah, do it. I might call you tomorrow. Don't, please. <laughs> All right. 
This See. has been great. Thanks yeah, been again, great. Richard. Thanks, Richard. Say goodbye, Thanks, George. Thanks, guys. That was great. Thanks. Thank you. Goodbye, George. Hey, Richard. Yep. Um, that was great.